Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Global stock markets have suffered their steepest weekly fall since the start of the pandemic. Well, the S&P eked out again today. It's still finished down almost 6% since Monday. It's worst five-day stretch since the start of the pandemic. The, the Dow share market with hundreds of billions of dollars wiped from markets all around the world. Another steep plunge after the Federal Reserve raised interest rates to fight inflation. And the crypto winter has blown in. So is this the bottom or just the beginning of the crypto winter? This morning, Coinbase just telling employees in an email that it plans to lay off 18 percent of its workforce that comes out if you're one of millions of people who started investing under lockdown you may well have seen your investment gains wiped out yeah i mean it's a it's a horrible feeling you're seeing hundreds of pounds down every day it, it was depressing sound familiar well over the next 20 minutes we're going to hear from two of the ft's top investment brains who unpick exactly what's been happening on world markets and talk to me about where things could go from here Plus, as investors ourselves, we'll have advice on how to avoid hitting the panic button and what new investors need to be thinking about as they formulate their next move. Welcome to Money Clinic, the weekly podcast about personal finance and investing from the Financial Times. I'm Claire Barrett, the FT's Consumer Editor. You don't need me to tell you that lots of bad stuff is going down all at once on world financial markets. Watching every twist and turn of it here at the FT are Katie Martin, our markets editor, who joins me in the FT's London studio, and our colleague Rob Armstrong, the FT's US financial commentator, who pens our popular Unhedged newsletter. He's joining us on the line from New York. Welcome both. Hey, how are you doing? Morning, Claire. Well, let's start by delving deeper into exactly what's been happening on the markets. A lot of young investors are feeling quite bewildered by the sudden downturn. Casey. Could you tell us what's causing it? So I would say if you are a a young novice investor who is feeling bewildered and terrified and baffled and you have no idea what to do, you're in extremely good company, right? So I speak Mm. to a lot of chief investment officers at big, you know, asset management firms, pension funds, that sort of thing. They are equally completely baffled. They're having a really, really horrible year. So if you're finding it really difficult to decide what to do next... It's not you being thick, it's the market. It's been incredibly tough out there. And to think about why it's been so tough, it's quite useful to cast your mind back to what, in retrospect, were the halcyon days of the end of 2021. Mm -hmm. Market's doing very nicely. Um, COVID is receding as a risk. Supply chains are easing up. The world's in a generally happy place. And the idea is, you know, yeah, it's been really tough economically, but central banks are going to start tapping on the brakes now and, and raising interest rates nice and slowly. But the system can probably handle it. 
Enter stage right, Russia, Ukraine. Mm. This changes everything. All of a sudden, what we had as relatively modest inflation has turned into absolutely super soar away inflation. Energy prices are going through the roof. Commodity prices are going through the roof. And that means that central banks are no longer able to tap on the brakes. They have to hit them hard. Mm. And when they hit the brakes hard, as one investor put it to me recently, someone goes through the windscreen. And one of the things that goes through the windscreen is markets. All of the kind of asset classes that have had a fantastic time while the Federal Reserve in the States and other central banks have had very, very low interest rates, everything that's done really well under that environment kind of mechanically has to do badly under the opposite environment. So pretty much every asset class on the planet has had a really rough time, and equities in particular. And it all reminds you of, you know, the, the famous adage in markets from the very famous investor Warren Buffett, you know, when, when the tide goes out, you see who was swimming naked. Well, guess what? Turns out everybody was swimming naked. Some people were closer to the shore than others, but everybody's been caught out by this. And so if you're investing in any kind of risky asset, then it's incredibly difficult. Rob, from where you sit in New York, is the picture any different over there? What are the kind of takeaways that, that, that you would add to what Katie's already told us? I think Katie has nailed it. So what we are experiencing is uh, a, a very unpleasant seminar in central banking. And it works like this. When inflation is out of control, that means demand is above supply. The central bank's job is to get demand down below supply. It does that by making money more expensive. And unless they're extremely lucky, it means they have to induce a recession. So the, the bottom line is inflation is so bad that the monetary authorities probably have to cause a recession in order to stop it. And recessions are no fun. Uh, not for people in the workforce, not for investors. The other aspect of this is that when the central bank is raising rates so quickly and people don't know when they're going to stop, not only is there the risk of recession, there's an incredible environment of uncertainty. We don't know what interest rates are going to be. And when you don't know what interest rates are going to be, you sort of don't know what anything is supposed to cost. It's just a moment that combines pessimism with uncertainty, and it's extremely difficult. Can you give us a bit more insight into how what the central banks are doing, raising their interest rates, raising the risk of recession, could do to stocks as we, as we go forward? How, make the connection for us into why what they're doing is causing stock markets to really be hit. Well, I'm afraid we have to do a little bit of mathematics here to capture this point. But it's really quite simple mathematics. Uh, the price of a stock or a bond is the present value of the cash it's going to deliver to you in the future. But those future cash flows, whether they're a year or two years or 10 years down the road, have to be discounted because they're in the future and money has a cost. What's happening? when there's inflation, and therefore the central bank is raising interest rates, is that the discount rate on that future money is going up. So it's almost like mechanically, as interest rates rise, 
stock prices have to go down because the discount rate of those future cash flows is rising. There's more to it than that. There's fear and anxiety and the risk of recession. But behind all that, there is this terrible mathematics uh, that cannot be avoided. Katie, it's not just a US story. Stock markets in the UK, in Europe, in Asia, they haven't escaped from this downturn. No, right. So it goes back to what I was saying about, you know, when the tide goes out, you see who was swimming naked. Some things are closer to the shore than others. And the assets that are the most speculative, that are the most contingent on having really low interest rates, um, I'm thinking here of crypto, which I know we're going to come on to, but which has been really taken to the woodshed. That's the first thing to be hit. Then you have very speculative bits of the stock market, the kind of tech stocks, particularly high spec tech, as they call it. You know, the, the tech stocks from companies that don't really make any money today, but you think they're going to make money some at some point in the future. And they're very sensitive to interest rate moves. So you've got to think of it as like this tide that moves through the market, taking out the most speculative stuff first, generally speaking, and leaving the safer stuff behind. Now, a lot of the most speculative stuff is in the States. So if you take the the NASDAQ index, has taken a very heavy hit. It's down 30% this year. If you look at the S&P, which is the kind of the the real benchmark for US stocks, that's had a a relatively soft (laughs) decline of 23%. I mean, this has been a hideous year Mm. so far for US stocks. European stock markets tend to be much more what you might call value-driven. It's it's big industrials. It's kind of generally more kind of plodding but conservative companies that do actually make a decent profit and that tend to be less popular among the speculative crowd. They have fallen, but not as badly. We're Mm. still talking 17% down so far this year in the Eurostock 600. I'm not downplaying this. You know, similar sorts of declines in various Asian stock markets. But when you get to, for example, the FTSE 100... I mean, whisper it, but it's an incredibly boring stock market. It's full of, you know, companies that dig stuff out of the ground. It's full of companies like, you know, banks and insurance companies... It's not the sexy stuff. It's there for the people who buy and hold for the long term. That's had a relatively easy ride. It's down 4% so far this year. So boring is good in a way in this environment. That's why some markets have done better than others, but they've all done badly. Now, it's not just stocks that are sinking at the moment. Other asset classes, including bonds, there's been a sell-off there. Why, Rob, should investors be concerned about that? It comes back, Claire, to that uncertainty that I discussed earlier. We don't know where interest rates are going to end up in this cycle. We don't know how hard the world's central banks are going to have to work to stop inflation. And if you don't know what interest rates are going to be, you don't know what a bond is worth. Uh, This makes it extremely difficult uh, to know when, as it were, to jump back in the water, to extend Katie's m- metaphor of the of the naked swimmers. Uh, so bond markets present the following challenge right now. In a non-inflationary world, which we lived in for an extremely long time, so if you had the classic 60-40 or 70-30 stock and bond portfolio, uh, if global growth was good, if economic growth was good, your stocks was go up, would go up. If growth was bad and we were heading into a down cycle, 
your bonds would go up. Well, guess what? Now your stocks and your bonds are going down at the same time. Well, you talk about equities, bonds under pressure. Well, the other big meltdown, of course, that we've seen concerning young investors particularly is the price of cryptocurrencies. I mean, Katie, what do you sense is driving the meltdown in crypto? And how is this the same or different from the factors that are affecting stocks? Some of the factors are the same and some of them are a bit different. So crypto really started falling in sort of November last year when the market really got a sniff of the fact that US interest rates, you know, this is not a drill. They are going to rise. I know we haven't seen US, rising US interest rates for a while, but it's actually going to happen. And so, like I say, that kind of punched the wind out of the sales of, of highly speculative assets. And, and crypto, if it's nothing else, is a highly speculative asset. Mm -hmm. So it started coming off then. What has happened since then, and we're now about 70% down from those those peaks, but the, the really important thing that's happened since then is that a lot of the individual, the structures of the individual coins, whether they're stable coins or other crypto tokens, and a lot of the stability of the intermediaries of the market is starting to crumble. Everything is fine in crypto as long as money's coming in every day. As soon as the money starts coming out, then various platforms start saying, oh, uh, yes, uh, maybe we can't quite give you your cash back right now. We might have to hold on to it for a bit longer. And then that hits confidence. And then people try and take more money out. And then so you've got like a series now of effectively bank runs across the crypto industry. That's not good. And it's not obvious to me what stops the bleeding here. The other scary bit is, you know, as Rob was just saying, when you don't know where you're going, it's kind of really difficult to price things. There is no real way to price crypto. There are no underlying assets. There is no underlying cash flow. There is no yield. There is nothing. So there is nothing to stop it crashing to $2,000 tomorrow. There's nothing to stop it rocketing back up to, to 30. It could be anything. You just pick your number and there's nothing to tell you that you're right or wrong. And so that's why you're starting to see these air pockets kick in. You know, over the weekend recently, it just dumped $3,000 a piece for no readily apparent reason. Um, so you're seeing some forced selling. You're seeing some air pockets in the price. You're seeing the sensible questions about who are these platforms, who is running them, only being asked now that the price is falling it's incredibly difficult for people that have got money tied up in these things. Mm. And also the horrible realisation that there is no regulation. There is no, no complaints will, department. No one, you know, if you if you want to speak to the manager, good luck. There, there, there isn't one. They can disappear tomorrow. Well, thank you both for explaining so clearly what's behind this big shift in the markets. I'm going to talk to you more in a second. But first, let's hear from a listener, a young investor whose stocks and shares and crypto holdings have been hit hard. How much in percentage terms do you think you've you've lost on that in recent months? In percentage terms, I would say um, probably between 60 and 70% of it. That's Ashley. He's 28, lives in London, works in the tech sector. We actually spoke to him on a previous Money Clinic episode about whether he should be saving up for a property or a pension. Like many in his age group, he started investing during the pandemic when, because he wasn't commuting or going out, he had spare cash to hand. A lot of young investors have never had to go through a downturn um, 
the last major downturn was uh, you know, 12 years ago. So a lot of people weren't in the market. So this is the first time I think I and many of my friends will be experiencing this kind of pressure. And in terms of how that looks for me, you know, I've seen some of the investment trusts that I'm in through a stocks and shares ISA lose, you know, nearly 40% of their value. And the general, you know, everything put together, I think, um, in the stocks and shares side, I started with um, 9,000 in a stocks and shares ice at the beginning of the year. And that's now down to about 7,000. So that's a pretty hefty amount of money wiped off. And then also the money that I put into crypto. And in terms of the amount of money, you hadn't put as much into crypto as you had into stocks and shares. That's right. I think I, I went into the crypto market with my eyes somewhat open, it's it's a very, a very high risk way to to try and invest money. So, um, I think I put about three thousand pounds in, but now it's probably it's down to about kind of seven hundred pounds. I think a lot of people that I know are very concerned. I mean, I have a friend in particular, and um, she has ninety percent of all her money in crypto. So, I mean, at one point she was actually very wealthy, um, but now that's all all but vanished. And it has made a lot of people I know feel, feel quite uncomfortable and not knowing what to do and, and not knowing what to expect next. Compounding matters is the fact that these losses are happening just as the cost of living is going up. It has made me think, well, do I need to review how... I live or how I budget throughout the month, perhaps saving less now and just focusing on getting through this period. It's uh, a question I think maybe a lot of people will be thinking about. How does the current downturn make you feel about your financial future in general? Well, I mean, it does feel like things are just getting tougher and tougher and I do think that these are really testing times and it has made me think about, you know, what is going to be realistic for me to achieve in the next five years? You know, we mentioned, we spoke before about me wanting to purchase a house at, at some stage. It's made me think, well, depending on how long this storm continues to rage on for, perhaps I'll have to, you know, think again about when that's going to be possible. How often are you checking your investments? I mean, I remember when I first started investing, I would check them every day because I was just so excited by the idea of it. But actually now um, I've tried to break that habit and I've deleted a lot of the uh, the apps from my phone because I didn't think it was useful to actually be checking it every day. Um, so I've deleted those apps to resist the temptation. And so I'll check the value of my stocks and shares perhaps once a month. Um or once every few weeks, but I try not to do it any more than that because ultimately I don't feel would benefit me to be seeing the downward trend every day. I think it would be quite depressing, actually. Mm. Do you regret investing? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I mean, in the short term, <laughs> I suppose yes, because I've lost a lot of the money that I had, you know, and... That is a regret. However, I'm trying to think about this bigger picture, this longer term thing. But I've invested because of the long term plans that I want to have. What would you like to put to the podcast experts at the FT right now? So I think 
I would like to know, you know, first of all, you know, what is happening in the market at the moment? You know, what are, I understand that there are these big kind of contributing factors and um, all different parts of the world. But for a young person, for a young investor, how does that present itself and what should we be thinking about and how should we be changing the way that we think about investment or think about saving when we're going through this crisis? Because as I said up top, this is something that many people have never experienced before that are my age. So perhaps also if they have any learnings from previous crises, is there anything that we can take forward and use kind of today from those times? You too may be feeling bewildered and confused about what's happening on world markets. But as ever, bear in mind, this is a general discussion where we will be giving our opinions as journalists. We're not financial advisors. What we say is not intended as an investment recommendation or individual financial advice. Katie and Rob, you've heard from Ashley there, a young investor who, like millions of others, got started during the pandemic. But now serious doubts are starting Rob, what are your first thoughts? My first thought for any young person who started out recently investing is that in a situation like this, a really nasty downturn, there is a big difference between the money you have already invested and the money that you are soon to invest and will be investing over the coming years. The very important point to remember, or actually let me make it two important points. Prices today and returns tomorrow vary inversely over the long run. That's point number one. So it feels horrible. The money that you put in 25% ago is now 25% smaller, and that hurts. But the money you put in today at minus 25% is going to earn you more down the run, down the long run, than if you'd invested it three weeks ago. Uh, assets, when they get cheaper, their future returns go up. That, that is what a young investor has to keep in mind. That's point number one. And your second point? My second point is uh, a phrase that my boss, when I worked in the market, said to me during the last downturn, which is, they don't ring a bell. And what he meant by that is, at the bottom of the market, when prices have uh, hit their lows and everyone is despondent, and but things can only get better and things are set to rise again, they will not make an announcement at that time. You, and you can't anticipate beforehand or while it's happening what that day is. So you have to make investment choices without that knowledge which means you have to invest in a considered way through the downturn, knowing that you're not going to nail the bottom. Of course, Casey, a lot of new investors are going to have been focused on the short term mm -hmm. and waking up every morning, looking at the app, feeling richer. I mean, you wrote in your FT column last weekend, we've seen FOMO, the fear of missing out, but now we're seeing FOHO. This is the fear of holding on. This is this is taking hold. Now, Rob made a really important point there, which is nobody rings a bell at the bottom of the market. And so that's why FOHO sets in, right? Because people start thinking, well, I'm down 30, 40, 50, even more than that percent. 
So people start thinking, you know, I, I'm down horribly. My, my portfolio is getting annihilated here. I just don't want to hold on to anything else. I, you know, FOHO has set in. I just want to sell it all. It's really worth taking a deep breath before you make that kind of decision. The, the difficult thing for Ashley, and my heart goes out to him, is that at the time that he got into the market, it may not have felt like it at the time. It may have felt like, oh, I'm taking a big risk here. But honestly, it was like shooting fish in a barrel. Stock markets had been annihilated when COVID first hit. People like Ashley had spare cash to pump into stocks. Central banks were shoving money into the markets like it was going out of fashion. Markets were absolutely rocketing. And the whole thing was framed as a game. You know, you too can play around in, in the stock markets. You know, what's the worst thing that can happen? Here are some apps that look like games. They were particularly popular in the States. It, it felt like fun. It felt like winning. And it didn't feel like a huge risk at the time. But actually what all investors, and it's not just people like Ashley, it is the professional investors too, they're all coming to this realisation that actually, if you set aside that issue in markets in March 2020 when COVID hit, Markets have been shooting fish in a barrel ever since 2008, ever since the crisis then. It's just been one-way traffic up. And now everybody's having to take a fresh look at how they manage the risks around that and what can go right and what can go wrong. One of the things also that really strikes me about Ashley's portfolio there is you really need to think about balance. Mm. You need to think about diversification. Stocks and crypto is not diversification. You're basically betting on stocks and stock squared you know, stocks and then even more risky, super speculative investments. You know, people kind of look down their nose at boring old bond funds and boring old cash on deposit when when stock markets are ripping higher. Now, guess what? Sure, they're going to give you less than inflation, but you're not going to lose it all. You put 100 quid in, you get 100 quid out. You know, that, that actually looks like a pretty enticing offer at the moment. You get a little bit of interest, interest rates are going up. So it's always worth having a little bit of what you might call dry powder, a bit of money in cash that you can you can deploy on some risky bet that you think is actually worth it if, if you think it's cheapened up enough, but that isn't going to make you lose your shirt. So it's very much around, I know it's boring, God knows it's boring, but it's all about diversification. It's about, you know, spreading your bets more widely. Um and just about accepting that, unfortunately, it's not a game. If it was that easy, we would all be doing it. We would all be sitting on our yachts in the Mediterranean having a lovely time. Investing is hard. As I said earlier in the show, this isn't financial advice, but Rob, I worry that many will just not invest anymore after this. This will put them off maybe even for life. What are the lessons that you would like to pass on to people in this situation? I would say that Katie's right. This this moment has taught us that we need to think about our portfolios in a broader context than we were conditioned to think about them by 12 fat years, which is what we have had. That said, especially for young people who are just starting out investing now, don't forget to have another side where you're actually excited about the drawdown, right? What is happening is that these stocks and these bonds, carefully chosen, are going on sale. And, you know, if you buy now, you're doing better than you would have done six months ago. 
And if you keep buying steadily as prices continue to fall, which they might for all we know, potentially you're setting yourself up for some good returns in years to come. So be cautious, diversify, keep a little dry powder. Okay. Well, the million dollar question is, of course, how much worse could things get in in the interim? Now, markets, they're like a crystal ball. They're reflecting how optimistic or, or pessimistic investors are. But how do you both read the runes? What are the factors that could affect stock markets in a major way, Katie, in coming months and years? So, Markets are, when they're working properly, an excellent way not of telling you what is going on today. They are telling you what investors think is going to happen tomorrow. So investors are already pricing in the fact that interest rates have started to rise and that they're going to keep rising really sharply from here. You know, the the messaging that we're getting from the Federal Reserve in the States and from other central banks is, buckle up, we're not joking this time. We're going to do big interest rate increases frequently over the coming months. What could definitely make it worse from here is that the already very aggressive intentions that central banks have might need to get even more aggressive. So right at the top of this conversation, you know, Rob was talking about, you know, the reason inflation comes about is that you have a demand and supply imbalance. There's more demand for stuff than than the world can can accommodate. But the other really tricky element here is that it's not all just about demand and supply and economic activity. There's a lot of a lot of the reasons why inflation has rushed so much higher are for reasons that central banks can't actually control. It's stuff like oil prices, it's stuff like commodity prices. They're, they, they're not magicians. They can't just wave a wand and make all of this go away. They can make mm. a certain amount of it go away. But there's There are factors at play in, for example, global food markets, partly as a result of what's going on in Ukraine, that they actually can't control. So it is plausible that even the incredibly aggressive plans they already have might need to get even tougher. That would be even worse for stocks. And that's why the professional investors now are saying, you know, some of them are saying, "Okay, I'm going to pinch my nose. It's time to buy. These markets have been hammered. There's at least a roughly equal number of them who are saying, I'm out. I'm still sitting this out. I just don't want to get involved at this point. I still think there's some pain to come. If the professionals don't know what's going on, investors like Ashley certainly are not going to have much of a chance, and nor am I. Now, Katie, I know that you balk at describing crypto as an asset class, but what could the future hold here? I mean, Ashley's holding £3,000 now down to to Um, I have predicted the death of crypto multiple times, and I've been wrong every single time. This market has an incredible staying power that defies all the laws of physics and logic and the way that all other markets work. But if this sort of rot that we're seeing in the institutions behind crypto really, really takes hold, then crypto prices are in very serious trouble. And you might find that you simply can't get your money out, even if you want to. So You know, Ashley was saying, I went into crypto with my eyes open. Keep them open. Know the risks that you're taking. Know the risks of the institutions that you're dealing with. It's not just whether the number goes up or goes down. It's whether you can get your money out if you want it. Um, You really need to have your, your wits about you there. But I guess one thing actually that we should talk about is... No matter what market you're invested in, if if it's risky assets, 
investors of all types, whether they are, you know, amateur have-a-go investors or whether they're professional investors, we've been conditioned over the past few decades that every time the brown stuff hits the fan, don't worry, central banks are going to step in and they're going to save the day and they're going to cut interest rates really hard and they've got your back. They do not have your back now. They cannot cut interest rates when inflation is running around 8%. They are not going to come in with a rescue package for markets. You're on your own, so you really should have a good idea of what you're doing and what levels of risk you're happy with. Well, on that point, I will say thank you very much there to FT experts Katie Martin and Rob Armstrong. Thanks, Claire. Thank you. And finally, it's important to remember that everyone makes mistakes in investing and indeed in life. It's how we learn from our mistakes that really matters. And whatever happens next on the markets, Money Clinic will be here to help you do just that. That's it for Money Clinic this week, and we hope you like what you've heard. If you did, spread the word and leave us a review. And if you would like to chat with me on a future episode of the show, then get in touch. You can email me, our address is money at ft.com, or DM me on Twitter, Instagram, or TikTok. I'm at Claire B. Money Clinic was produced by Persis Love. Our executive producer is Manuela Saragosa, and our sound engineer is Breen Turner. And the original music is by Metaphor Music. And finally, Money Clinic Podcast is a general discussion around financial topics. It does not constitute an investment recommendation or individual financial advice. For that, you'll need to find an independent financial advisor. That's the small print over and done with. See you back here soon. Goodbye.